Welcome to Always Listening. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. And boy, do we have a ton of stuff to get to. Where do we start? <laughs> well, we start. Hey, we start with this, Jay. Uh, first of all, as you're listening to this, Podcast Movement 2019 is going on. Uh, lots of our friends that will be listening to this are listening from Orlando in their hotels as they wake up uh, tomorrow morning uh, as we're recording this. So, hi. Uh, the, I hope that the conference is going well for you, and I hope all your podcasting dreams are coming true. Jay and I are sitting this one out. Uh, we both got uh, some personal family stuff going on. Couldn't get us to Orlando, but we are there in spirit, Jay. And we've been there in mind, too, in that... As the news has begun to trickle out, all the companies have announcements to make this week. Lots of them are still to come this week. Some of them we're going to have to talk about next week. But there was a ton of stuff rolled out this week as well. Uh, before we get to the big stuff, I want to say something. It's not connected to podcast movement, but it is connected to podcasting. I am officially now the editor of a Hall of Fame uh, nominated and accepted, inducted, I should say, uh, podcast, the Trivial Warfare podcast, Jonathan Oaks, Carmela, uh, Ben, uh, Chris, uh, all of those crew have been inducted into the Trivia Hall of Fame. Well deserved, by the way. They've built a huge community and uh, are actively growing the trivia space in a, in a new and interesting way. And I think that's been acknowledged by the folks that have been in the trivia game for a long time. And this is one of those acknowledgments. Uh, so congratulations to them. I know that meant a lot to Jonathan and the rest of the crew. Jonathan and Carmela, actually... They got done in Vegas for Trivia Nationals this past weekend where that happened, the Trivia Hall of Fame, and then they went straight to podcast movement, actually. So Carmela and Jonathan are enjoying Orlando right now, too, taking a little victory lap. I wonder. I wonder. Do they have a do they have a plaque or a, or a or a medal? I don't know what it, I don't know what you get when you get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, if they have some award, I hope they're carrying it around. When you sign your your autographs, you get to put H O F underneath. Oh, it. there you, yeah, that's, there you, you go. You sign your autograph and you H O F. Yeah. Perfect. Oh goodness. Um. So Jay, you're right. We do have a, a laundry list of of real news to get to today. Uh, why don't we start it with the most powerful people in podcasting. Oh, and <laughs> you and I got left off the list. I don't know how uh, that's Jonathan possible. didn't make the list. <laughs> Jonathan didn't make the list with Trivial Warfare either. Uh, but there is a um, an interesting list. But you have some some addendums that you would like to make. That, well, first of all, this is definitely not my list. Uh, there's, there's definitely some names on this list that are deserving. There's some names on this list that I didn't even know about. Uh, and there's some names that were completely left off this list, and I'm guessing there's a reason why. But the other thing is we have to understand the source. This list comes to us from InsideRadio.com. We have to understand that uh, from what I've seen in social media in reaction to this list, that InsideRadio.com is owned by iHeartRadio. Uh, so we have to take that into context when we look at this list. And... Yeah, that's the biggest thing. It's owned by iHeartRadio. So number one on the list is Connell Byrne, who is the president of the iHeart Podcast Network. And while I think iHeart is a big player in the league, uh, in the league, see, I'm already talking about it as it's a sports list. <laughs> as they're a big player in podcasting, I hesitate to say that he would be the most powerful person in podcasting. And the way that I look at this in terms of power, because again, it also, the third thing that I failed to mention is you have to look at what is your definition of power 
when you're putting together this list. And it's not necessarily explained at all in this listing here. But if iHeartRadio were to go away tomorrow, would that really affect podcasting moving forward? I mean, there'd be a little bit of a bump, but... So not in my... What it would create is a huge vacuum in some ways, right? Right. It would create a vacuum that a lot of independent creators would rush to fill. Uh, it, it wouldn't It wouldn't affect it in a bad way. I don't think it would affect it in a good way. But the vacuum isn't even... The vacuum wouldn't even be that big. So to my point, to just to finish that thought, is if Apple were to go away from podcasting tomorrow, <laughs> would that have a huge effect on the podcasting space? Yes, it would. And so James Boggs, who's the manager of yeah. the Apple Podcast, who's listed at number two, is honestly the number. He is the most important person in the room. He is. Or or for now, definitely. And and any other change that they make. By the way, like we just finished, what, four, five, six weeks, eight weeks in a row talking about their content categories uh, for Apple Podcasts. Even though they're not like they're they're still like sixty percent and change of the overall medium, but that means that they're more than half. They're more than half the downloads that are out there. So they affect basically every podcast producer, every potential podcast producer, every show that exists. What they do matters. You, you said if they you know shut down shop, if they closed up tomorrow, would it affect podcasting? It doesn't even have to be that drastic, Jay. What if they did something like, hey? We're going to now have if you're an exclusive uh, if you're exclusive to Apple Podcasts, you get this extra set of special features that you can use, but you have to take your show out of Spotify and Stitcher and mm-hmm. Overcast, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like that would how quickly do you think most producers would rush to do it to get the extra features? Never mind, you know, damn the torpedoes, so to say, so to say, as far as like what the consequences of that would be. Uh, so yeah, James Boggs goes at the top of the list. I will say this, though, about uh, Burn. I did not know that name before this list. However, Stuff Media was incredibly well run before iHeart took them over. And I I think you and I even talked about it at the time of that acquisition, which was before you and I were doing this show. a lot of people thought they were overpaid for that they that they overspent in retrospect it seems like they were it was pennies compared to you know the purchases that we're seeing now in podcasts well what's interesting too Joel is when these acquisitions happen what usually occurs the company that is acquired the executives are usually pushed out right the opposite has occurred here iHeartRadio acquired uh, the stuff media brand, they have essentially become the leadership of podcasting for iHeartRadio, pushing out the previous executives who were in charge of podcasting at iHeartRadio. It there are there are two great mirrors to that. That's exactly what I was going to say. There are two great mirrors to that. And and I hoped that's what would happen. By the way, when they when they made the hire, I talked to a friend of mine that worked for iHeart uh, in the radio side, and I said, I hope. They allow Stuff Media to just eat your podcasting division, to just eat it whole and use its resources because Stuff Media is doing it right. iHeart was not doing it right previously, and they saw that. They went and made an aqua hire effectively. If you look at the tech industry, the same thing happened with Apple, right? Apple was without Steve Jobs. They went and bought the company that he was working for at the time next. Now, they got a bunch of technology out of that, but what they really got was the executive team, which became 
effectively the new executive team of Apple. Over time, the leadership at Next, including Steve Jobs, became the leadership at Apple. And so the modern Apple looks more like the Next Corporation than it does Apple from that period. Same thing happened with Disney. Disney Animation made a deal with Pixar. They were trying to just distribute movies for them. Eventually, they bought Pixar, except what happened in the in the acquiring was that Pixar became the leadership. Pixar now runs Disney Animation, and not just Disney Animation, but a lot of Disney, period. Like, a lot of the Pixar executives became Disney studio heads, period. And because of that, what has happened to Disney in the last 10 years? It's flourished because they were talent uh, they had lots of resources, but little talent at the top, little management, creative management at the top. They went and found creative management and brought them into the company. Same thing happened here. iHeart had all the money in the world to do what they wanted to in podcasting, but they didn't know how to do podcasting. So they went and found a company that knew how to do it. And because of that, I can see giving him the nod. I, I want him on the list. I would agree with him being on the list. He's in charge of a tremendous swath of the industry and, again, has an amazing sort of like you know, war chest behind him moving forward that he can bring to bear on the industry. But you can't put him above Apple Podcasts. No, no, you can't. At number three... I don't think you can put him above number three either, honestly. To me, I think uh, it's it's hmm. James Boggs and Neil Carruth are the top two to me. Well, this is where I'm going to... So with Neil Carruth, he is the GM of podcasts for NPR. I agree, NPR needs representation on this list, Absolutely, but Neil Carruth reports to Carl Mohn, uh, or Mon, sorry. He's, he's got a weird Danish name, uh, which actually begins with a J, not a K. Uh, he's actually more powerful than Neil in terms of NPR. So I get putting NPR on this list, and they absolutely are a top three. Um, you know, this being owned by Our Heart Radio, I wouldn't have had a problem with putting Connell at number two. Uh, but NPR needs representation. I just think they have the wrong representative from NPR on this particular list. I think there's someone even more powerful than Neil that would represent NPR. What I don't get is number four, Hernan Lopez, founder and CEO of Wondery. I love Hernan. I love Wondery. I love what they're doing. Absolutely. But where is his power? Yeah, I to me, Eric goes above him. Eric Dean, the CEO of Stitcher, Earwolf, and and Midroll should go above Wondery. Wondery is a is a great production company, but you're right; they don't have the resources to affect the industry at large. Like they're doing cool things, but they're not a player. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you want to replace power with influence, I could see that. Absolutely, maybe. But again. It's the reason why it's the reason why Bloomberg is not on this list anymore because he doesn't own a company mm. anymore that can affect the the you know that's the that's the it's got to be I I think it has to be either CEOs or there are a couple of and I and I'll agree with a couple of these like for instance uh, you the you the argument against Caruth is that he's not the CEO of the company he's not in charge of the whole company he reports to somebody my argument against that is the guy he's reporting to is not only focused on podcasts. Podcasts Fair. is a part of what he's doing, but he's focused on radio as much, if not more. Caruth is focused on podcasting. Same thing with some of these like content heads or content director, chief content officer, for instance, of Spotify. I think that's the right choice because there's nobody at Spotify above her that is more 
focused or more knowledgeable probably of the podcasting industry than she is with more. So it's a combination of influence and focus, I would say. That's fair. I can I can definitely take that because there is a name on the that wasn't on the list that represents Stitcher uh, and Sarah Von Mosel, who is the chief revenue officer at Stitcher, that absolutely needs to be on this list. And maybe they didn't put her on because Stitcher is being represented by Eric Dean. Uh, but at the same time, when we talk about the Spotify, I think Daniel Eck, who is the CEO over there at Spotify, and we've talked about some of the things that he's been saying in their earnings calls, he's a guy that gets it. So even though his his 100% of his focus isn't on podcasting, he's clearly a big champion of podcasting at Spotify. He is the reason why Spotify is going all in on podcasting, and thus he would be more powerful, I would think, probably even a better representative on this particular list than Dawn, who Dawn is obviously very powerful. She is the chief content officer at Spotify. Spotify has made it clear that their uh, their way of, of making their mark on this industry is by acquiring uh, content producers, by by making them exclusive to Spotify. There's some real power in the position that she holds, for sure. Yeah, t- tell us who is not on the list. Well, the, the, the only other names... So just to just go back to Sarah, who I mentioned, the CRO at Stitcher, Sarah Van Mosel, she's been involved in the advertising side of podcasting from the very beginning. She started at uh, WNYC. She went on to NPR. She then had a brief stint. I forget the name of the company, but it was related to PRX and NPR and all that. And now she's at Stitcher. So I think and that's that's uh, mid roll. Uh, EW scripts. Uh, so just take into account of all the touch places other than Stitcher, the, you know, the distribution point, uh, that she has when it comes to getting advertising for podcasters. She is absolutely a huge name that everyone should know. Um, she is the one that is going to be key in getting more brand advertisers into the space. She's going to be working on all of that. And she's at the place mid roll, uh, that is directly involved that most people understand and know when they, when they hear about podcast advertising, the first place that they'll think of is usually mid roll. Um, there's, (laughs) there's all sorts of brand, uh, stuff that we may or may not get into today later today <laughs> but that would be the first place when you're talking about podcast advertising you you think mid-roll uh and that's her position that that is her job she needs to be represented the the names that were placed in the honorable mentions that should have been up in the top 10 are the podcast hosting companies i, I don't get how chris spencer uh, who is the legit president of Libsyn is not in the top 10. The number, if you're going to, if you're not going to put any, well, let's put it this way. You should have at least one. And if you're going to have one, it should be the biggest one. And that is Libsyn. Libsyn needed to be represented in the top 10 in some way. Todd Crocker is in the honorable mentions. Francesco Bascari, which I think is interesting, uh, who is the uh, president of Voxnest, my former employer, uh, got listed in there. They are, uh, I've mentioned before, they are number three. Um, that, that you needed to have representation from the podcast hosting companies, and Libsyn should have been the one that was in the top 10. And Chris Spencer, who is the president and CEO of that company, is the representative. Even though Chris and then underneath him is, uh, I forget her name, she, she was just quoted too. 
uh, are above Rob Walsh, who is ultimately the voice and face of Libsyn. So I agree. The The hosting companies did need to be uh, listed. If I'm making my top 10, I probably find room for all three of those uh, gentlemen on the list. But to me, if you're if you're stretching and you're trying to say, well, we want to have kind of variety in the top 10 and we want to show the the range of entities that affect the podcasting industry, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so if you're trying to make a creative top 10, then maybe you only have room for one of them. I would argue in that case, maybe it's Todd Cochran because of the three, he's the one that's effectively a solo operation. I mean, he doesn't run mm. the company alone, but he's in charge of it alone. He could make and, – and the other thing that I would say for him is he is such a voice for the independent podcaster. I would say even more so than Libsyn – uh, even more so than than Spreaker and VoxNest. And because of that, I feel like, I mean, you and I have joked a lot of times about somebody writing the fat check and him retiring to the islands or whatever. But like, <laughs> if he did that, it affects the podcasting industry. If the largest voice for the independent podcaster, the guy that says own your own domain, own your own platform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If that guy closes up shop and sells out and walks away, and shuts up. <laughs> I think that matters a lot. So I think that, that shows the kind of influence and effect that he could have on the industry. Anyway, if you're making a creative list, that's what I would have done. I would have put him, snuck him in at number 10 maybe or something. When's the last time you heard Francesco, by the way? When's the last time you heard Francesco say anything? I like I I've heard from him once. But that's as a I'm I'm a, I'm a member of their Prime program and like I'm I'm affiliated with the company and have been for several years. I saw him at an event and he, we like two sentences. That was it. I I've never seen I don't think a public statement from him. And you're right, he doesn't have any sort of like. What is his stance on the industry? What is what does even Voxnest feel about the direction of the podcast industry? And I don't have a good you know finger in the wind on that. Whereas I do for Libsyn and for Blueberry, for instance, um, those other two companies that we mentioned. Anyway, that's the uh, it's an interesting the list, powerful people, so to speak. It's an interesting and they list have, regardless. And they do and have a lot of honorable mentions. It's in the show notes. I mean, a lot yeah, of well, honorable you, mentions. <laughs> hey, it was clear. It was clear like they made the list and they were like, how do we not piss off everybody? <laughs> everybody that we work with. Well, oh, let's put them all at the bottom of the list. And some of the people that were placed in this list became a little less powerful this past week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm thinking right. specifically of Jenna Weiss Berman, who is the co-founder and producer at Pineapple Street Media. Mm. Or maybe she became more powerful. I don't know. Depends on how you look at it. We were just talking about aqua hires, right? About people, you know, sort of being absorbed into a larger corporate structure. Break this down for us, Jay. Intercom. It's a big broadcaster. Yeah, they are. They, uh, uh, the large U.S. radio broadcaster, they own 235 stations. So I think that basically puts them at like fourth in America, right? I think they're behind the big three, but that's, it's one of the largest of the mid tier groups. It's, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's so hard because they all tend to blend together and I forget who owns who. Because you have iHeart, you have Westwood One, uh, you have Cumulus, but I think Cumulus and Westwood One are the same. Are now the same. Um, and then you have Intercom. I think Intercom, honestly. Intercom might be third. 
then. They might be third now because of consolidation. You're right. It's it's tough because there's a lot of that going on. They're and, in the top and, five, and I don't though, probably. And honestly, I don't follow the radio industry as closely as I used to. But in any case, uh, they acquired Pineapple Street Media for $18 million. And then they had previously owned 45% of Cadence 13 for a measly $9 million. Then they purchased the rest, the 55% that they didn't already own for $50 million, which I think it's kind of interesting. You already owned almost half of it at only 9 million. Now you had to pony up and pay 50 million to get the other half. That's, um, that's quite the valuation for, uh, for cadence 13 there, but Hey, good on them. I, I think I think that's a misinterpretation. I think they the the whatever they paid the rest of what they paid Cadence values the company at a total of fifty million dollars. It's still so they four were, times they were nine million before. It's still four times yes. more than what they previously owned. <laughs> yes, yes, ab- absolutely a larger payment. But I don't I don't think they paid out fifty this time for it. But hey, there's a guy who's real happy this week too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he was listed in the honorable mentions here, or was he? Or was Cadence thirteen in the top ten? I, I think saw, he's in the top ten. Just actually. saw them. Yes, Spencer Brown. Because he's now he's now the um he he's been one of the things that happened after they brought him in recently. He's in charge of all of their original programming now. That's again kind of an aqua hire. They they brought that company in, but then he's bubbled up in their corporate structure. Uh, by the way, he used to be the CEO of Radio Network's Dial Global, which is one of the largest over in the UK, and Westwood One. See, there's a lot of inbreeding with all of these large companies, too, that you're going to start noticing. And a lot of the good old boys club ends up happening. You, if you noticed, we have talked about a lot of white males uh, when we're talking about these lists. There, We've mentioned a couple of female names. Uh, Hernan would be the only person of color. Uh, that we've mentioned on the whole top 10. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, those are things to note, by the way. Um, but in any case, Entercom now gets into this. So the, uh, what I saw from the writing, Pineapple Street has produced some of the more creative, larger podcasts. They've got some great deals. They've been working a lot in the branded podcasting space, which I think is exploding right now. There's a lot of talk about branded podcast. I imagine at podcast movement this week, there's going to be a lot of talk about branded podcasts. Um, so they, I, I can see why they, so these people know how to make great content, right? Why they continue to buy out the rest of cadence 13 who also have a content division is because cadence 13 has been working very closely with the digital advertisers, uh, and having the people that know where to get the money from was important to Entercom as they are making a big play, just like all the other places in podcasting. They know that digital is going to be where it's at. They know that this is a growing sector. They know as audio, as an audio company, they need to be part of the digital audio realm. And um, it makes sense. I think Entercom will definitely see benefits from these particular acquisitions. Um, and we'll see. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But this is st- there's so many. All these podcasting companies right now have got to be selling them. They've got to be licking their chops, getting ready to be acquired. Because isn't that the game, right? We go out and we get this VC money, and then we just try and get acquired so that we can pay off our investors and we can put a little in our pockets at the end of the day. 
that seems to be the game that's going on right now. And it's a game that uh, right now these podcast companies are winning. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm glad. I'm happy for anybody who can cash a check. Right. But at the same time, like, I didn't think this is what we were all building. <laughs> like, I I thought everybody, I honestly, and I, it, was, it was my own naivety. But when I came into the industry, uh, and I, I can't remember the quote, but right after you and I first started doing this show together, there was the big hire, uh, the, the big purchase from Spotify um, when they bought um, Gimlet Media and, and then followed it up by buying Anchor as well. And uh, Aaron Mankey had some great quote about how it felt like we were all kind of like sitting around at a party in our pajamas and then these guys walked in in suits you know, and suddenly we don't feel comfortable at our own party. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm screwing up the language. It was much more poetic the way that he put it, but that is effectively the way that I've have felt over like the last, and it didn't happen with that. It really happened about a year ago for me. I sort of saw where the industry was headed and how things were changing. And I realized, Oh, everybody isn't just in this because they want, they have a story to tell and they want to create their own little, I just assumed everybody wanted to be entrepreneurs, you know, like everybody is out here to do their own thing and to own their own thing and to tell their own story, create their own little bubble in the world. And it turns out a lot of people just saw an opportunity to make a thing and sell it. <laughs> well, that's what being an entrepreneur is. I think there's a different definition of yeah, entrepreneur, yeah, no, I Joel. <laughs> I think being an no, entrepreneur is, like, is building something and selling it at the highest price that you possibly can get. And, I think that's what's happening right now. There's a lot of companies that are getting sold at the highest price that they can get. When we talk about a podcasting bubble, I do think we're going to see a burst. I think these valuations are going to come down. I think these these radio companies aren't going to see the return of investment that they're hoping to, to see. To make up $50 million is going to take quite a bit of work by Entercom. I, I want to I see them become shallower but wider i guess i don't like i want some of this money to become smaller but more spread out over the industry I, because that's where the opportunity is these big companies could build relationships with indie producers and indie developers and 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 create content and own a piece of lots of things at a much smaller valuation but that would be more long-term sustainable and it would in the end uh, create more great content as opposed to like this splurge of content over one year all in our own little silos where we're expecting people to pay for it individually or whatever and then it all goes away because nobody paid for any of it <laughs> in six years we're all listening to a bunch of really cool shows that came out in <laughs> 2019 on somebody's you know, individual platform that are now available on Apple podcasts. Right. Well, what's interesting is Entercom also at the same time announced their launch of their radio.com sports digital network, which I think goes more to what you were hoping you would see where they have a conglomerate of independent podcasters that they're putting out there as sort of their sports offerings in all the different sports, uh, which I think is pretty smart on their part. Uh, there are some there are some bigger names and there are some more established names from the radio side that are also involved in this particular project. But there are some smaller shows that are that are involved in this project as well. And I think this will be this is the thing that you're talking about that we have to keep a very, very close eye on. And what's interesting is I obviously have an eye on it because I'm involved in sports. 
But the rest of the industry, I don't think, has an eye on it. As a matter of fact, when you look at, you know, where podcasting is and sort of its recognition of where sports podcasting has become, it sort of gets ignored. And I think sports podcasting is sort of at the leading edge of a lot of these types of things. If this is a success for Entercom, I think you could see this for a whole bunch of different things where you could see a true crime network being acquired by a radio station and sort of presented as their true crime offerings that, that can also play on the radio. I th sports, it's very easy to do because there is a glut of available content when it comes to sports. I mean, there's a, there's some sort of sporting, I believe back in the day when I was a kid and I had, uh, I forget the robot. It was a little trivia robot and it, it informed me when I was merely six years old that there is only one day on the calendar where there is not a professional sporting event in the United States occurring. Do you know when that day is, Joel? Uh, well, it's not Christmas because nope. there's a sporting event on Christmas Day. It's yep. not New Year's. There's nope. a bunch of sporting events that yep. day. It's not Thanksgiving. There's a bunch yep. of events that day, or three anyway that day. I don't know. What day is it? It's the Easter? Day, it's the day after the MLB All-Star Game. Now... <laughs> Now things have things have changed since there's since soccer since I now? was six years old because there's now professional soccer, but I believe that still holds true. The only day there is not a professional sporting event in the United States is the day after the MLB All Star Game. That's interesting. That's, I was always amazed when I was a kid that it had worked out so conveniently that the four major sports all played basically in separate seasons. <laughs> I was like, isn't that nice? Isn't that just wonderful? Like, I think I think I remember talking to a grown-up when I was seven or eight and being like, hey, isn't it cool that baseball season and basketball season don't happen at the same time? And he was like, you know, that's, that's on purpose, right? <laughs> like, we, we built them that way. By the way, I was I'm like, oh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. I was amazed when I was the only producer at ESPN that I was able to continue to produce all the sports during the time of year that when they all overlap each other, which, yeah, by the way, yeah, like, happens to be now. <laughs> September, October, it gets kind of crazy. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. So anyway. I can understand that. Yeah. Jay, I love this idea. I And you're absolutely right. Radio should do this for all sorts of genres. If you look at the big radio companies, especially, you could go out with minimal outlay to producers. I've said this for years about local radio stations. They should be farming talent constantly with podcasts. You should have a net. If you have 10 hours worth of original content on your one flagship station every you know week or whatever, and that's all you have, or 10 hours a day, like my local station, I think, is only live for maybe 12 or, or 16 hours a day or something like that. You should have 16 different podcasts running at any given time, effectively free talent, give them the platform. You pay the the hosting fees, et cetera, et cetera, because you've got the, the bandwidth and the technological know-how and just farm the talent. And when they bubble up, when they're good enough, put them on the air. All of a sudden you got new radio personalities. And that way these people don't come up with the, a thought that I can do it without 
a radio company. I mean, you know, the next generation of hosts can either have a love for and an appreciation for the big media companies or the idea that they don't need them at all. And that's up to the big media companies on how they handle that. I mentioned this in one of my reviews my- for Barrett Sports Media about the Lebertard and Friends podcast network, where they are using repurposed audio from the Dan Lebertard radio show, but they're using the production talent to put original content around that repurposed audio. So now you've given the audience that's already heard the interview a reason to go listen to it because there's original content around it. You're developing new talent because that talent is now getting an opportunity to create sort of a show atmosphere around the show, which means when Lebetard gets too pricey or he pulls a Bill Simmons and goes someplace else, you now have developed new talent to help promote and fill that void when you know, ultimately he ends up leaving. If he ends up leaving, you never know. Sometimes these these things happen. Contracts in radio can be tricky. But in any case, that's the sort of thing every radio station should be doing. Every production company that has any sort of, uh, like HBO, for instance. Uh, I don't remember if we talked about this last week or if it's later in, but all of these companies that are doing uh, companion podcasts, to their, you know, television shows or to their movies, that is brilliant. You all should be owning that because if you don't, the independents that do post-show recaps, that do uh, TV after buzz, uh, that are doing these are eating your lunch. They're taking your money away from you. And it's not that, and by the way, good on them. But at the same time, if you are if you are a broadcaster that's looking if you are a major corporation that's looking to make money in this space, that's where it's at. And but uh, and and you could just hire one of these guys that have been eating your lunch on previous right. projects to come in and do the next project for you because they already know how to do it and they already have built an audience off of your brand already. I always think, Jay, about Troy Heinrichs. Like, he's done a bunch of stuff with NBC for The Blacklist. They flew him out, I think, for like season two or season three to do uh, uh, interviews for the DVD commentary. Like, he was interviewing the stars for extras on the DVD or something like that. But, like, why not just buy that show? Why not just say, hey, Troy, The Blacklist Files or The Blacklist Exposed, uh, I think is the name of his podcast. That show is now an NBC production. How much would that cost? You know, like it wouldn't cost much, I'm sure. And Troy would sell it and continue to host it for you. But likewise, get Troy for the next show that you're going to do with James Spader or the spinoff of of The Blacklist and say, Troy, we're going to launch this new show. And I want you to do I want you to start a podcast before it even starts. I want you to help help us tease it and promote it, you know, like. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. These producers are out there doing it for free in their spare time. How many of us would love to do it for a living? And our incomes are not that large to replace by Hollywood standards anyway. So, No. All it takes is having that person in a position that knows these producers. Hint, hint. And can make these deals sort of happen. Because... That is absolutely what should be happening at all of these places. And if you have an after show, an official, a quote unquote official after show uh, for a project that you're already doing and it's not performing as well as another one. Well, if you can't beat them, join them, hire the other people to come do your official show. Uh, Just to me, it's a no brainer. To me, I don't understand why this is a difficult thing to sort of accept and acknowledge 
I mean, people make content is king. And it, like you said, it's not going to take a lot. If you are able to pay off that, that host, that producers, you're able to give him enough money to not necessarily make a living on that one podcast. That would be ridiculous. But if he's able to, you know, pay off a couple bills every month, you know, he, he doesn't have to necessarily worry about his mortgage every month. I mean, in in radio and television and movie terms, that's cheap. We've talked about this before. A podcast series is a tenth the cost of producing a pilot. That's what you can make a, a whole podcast for. So, uh, and and make it really, really high quality. Get on to it, big media companies. Hook us up. <laughs> I'm available. Uh, for instance, Hulu and Paramount Television. I believe you're in production on a series based on the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles. Oh. I'm a big fan and have a podcast about that TV show that doesn't exist yet. There you go. Uh, Jay, what's next on our news list? I wanted, hey, if I was going to pitch for Troy, I'm going to pitch for me too. You might as well pitch for yourself. Absolutely. Well, if we're pitching for ourselves, uh, just to skip over one one story, Captivate has a new uh, board of advisors. Um, yo, Mark. Hi there. I- I'm still available. How you doing? <laughs> Gladly come and, and, and share my insights on the podcast industry. Maybe you're not going to pay me because you listen to this podcast. You don't need to. Who knows? But uh, anyway, congratulations to uh, to those three. Uh, Dreams Cridlin of Pod News and uh, the other two. <laughs> uh, Laura, I didn't pull Laura, up the story. <laughs> Sorry. I've got it right here. It's Laura, Laura Roeder from Meet Edgar and Evo Terra from Simpler Media. Um, Evo and I have uh, had some back and forth uh, this year in particular. I've known about him for a couple of years now. He's a, a great choice, I think. James Cridlin, of course. Uh, we know what he's been doing for the industry in the past several years through Pod News. Uh, Laura, I didn't think of her, but I got to tell you, she's the founder of Meet Edgar, which if you don't, if you're not familiar with that product, I don't use it personally. It's kind of expensive, honestly. The subscription is like 50 bucks a month, I think, or something like that. But if it is a massively successful and massively powerful social media tool, basically the idea is that it allows you to not only schedule posts for all of your social media you know, networks like uh, Buffer or uh, what's the other one that everybody uses? For that, there's another one, the, the very popular service that everybody uses to schedule. Hootsuite? Yes, Hootsuite. Uh, like those services. The big difference for Meet Edgar is that Meet Edgar, you can mark certain things as evergreen and can create content categories that will rotate through a formula so that oh. it's not posting the same thing all the time. But like especially for Twitter – like uh, Elsie Escobar talks about this all the time. When she makes her posts about episodes, she has a setup where she posts about the episode at first and then she posts about it again later in the week. Then she posts about the back catalog like once a week on a different rotation. You can automate all of that. and You can say, hey, here's my post about this blog or this episode of my show re put it and then once i post it this week as new put it into the evergreen category and rotate it once every 4 weeks or every 5 weeks in a different time slot etc cetera, etc cetera. it's super powerful there are some other services now that do similar things but meet edgar was the first one that i've ever heard of that did that and it is 
super successful at it. There's a reason they're able to charge so much for a lot of uh, larger companies and users. Um, so the interesting thing to me is if you look at what Captivate says they want to do and right. change about media hosting, she is a really interesting connection to add there. And I think probably brings a lot that these other two knuckleheads that we know so well in the podcasting space don't bring to the table necessarily. So she's a really interesting um, addition there. She is also yeah. a she. <laughs> I think that's she's important. Also, yeah, she's it's a woman. It's important to note that's that there needs to be too. a diversity of voices in this space. And and it's Absolutely. more than it's more than just racial. There's also sexual differences. And so having a female on the board of advisors is very uh, intelligent. I always forget to mention this, but the it, just in case you're listening to this and you've heard everything that uh, Meet Edgar does and you're like, man, I would love that, but that's too expensive for me too. I use a service called socialb.io, I believe is the the name of it. It's a much smaller company and platform, but it does a very similar thing. I don't take advantage of all of its features. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to set my wife up to become my social media manager over the next few weeks and do exactly that. Uh, what is yeah, it with family members that, that refuse to do these things? Like I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get my son to be my Instagram manager. The kid won't do it. He's got a larger Instagram following than I do on my podcast. And all he's doing is reposting, you know, other people's news stories. Like, come on, dude. Can you do that for my podcast? I mean, I'm struggling. Like, my podcast makes money. You're not making any money on your social media account. Come make some money for my podcast. And then, hey, maybe I can actually give you an allowance that you've been asking for. Huh? How about that, kid? Come come make me money to give you. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations to the folks at uh, Captivate as they continue to expand, uh, which, by the way, I think they are – Captivate's officially available now, right? They're out of so. – beta and available to the public i think you can just go and, and sign up captivate.fm uh, i missed my appointment with um mr asquith uh, mark asquith a couple of weeks ago i was supposed to check out the beta product and then i just haven't gotten back with him yet i haven't had time to make the move myself so i haven't made that a priority uh but in the wake of whatever they announced this week uh i'm gonna try to get back with him and see about moving one of my shows over and try and captivate out as a matter of fact by the way a uh, quick mention of them again Kudos to great design. Once again, have you seen the t-shirts for this year for Rebel Base Media, their parent company? A big, uh, it's a face with a big, loud waves coming out of its mouth. Yeah, it's, it's just like the lips and the, and the, the sound waves or whatever. Very cool looking shirt. I hope, I hope, hint, hint, one of my good friends will grab me one off the table and send it to me since I didn't get to go to podcast movement. I'm hint, a, hint, somebody, somebody grab me one. I'm unfortunately a 2X now, which... Another downside of not working. I need to get back to the there's, gym. There's a few of those. There's there's fewer of those two X's in the stack. You're saying, yeah, than the the standard extra yeah, large. They don't uh, they don't they don't come in two X that often. <laughs> uh, Jay Google has added podcast playback in search results, or so they say. Well, I tried this for my own show, and I don't know exactly how it's working, but it shows my my Apple link comes up first thing which is great. My Spreaker link shows up. My old BTR link still shows up, which got to figure out. My horrible website for nextfanup.wordpress.com shows up. I, I mean, I haven't done anything to that in forever. Uh, but when I look at the episodes that, that come up, none of them are Next Fan Up. Zero. So I would call this uh, beta at best. <laughs> 
Now, I have done it with other shows, and I have seen plenty of other shows show up in the episode search, but uh, not for my particular podcast. Um, I am doing mine as we speak. Always listening gives me no actual podcast results, gives me a bunch of links, but no actual podcast results. Uh, articulate. I wonder if it's a matter of podcast. naming the show. Uh, oh, hey, here's one. Okay, look. So for the Articulate Coven, when I search for Articulate Coven podcast, the top three results are Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, and my website directly. But then under that, before the Blog Talk Radio link, before the Spreaker link, before Podtail and Podbean and all the other places, Listen Notes, Player.fm, et cetera, et cetera, there are three actual play buttons. And it's the latest episode, uh, the one before that, and the one before that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me click play and see what happens here. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if it's a naming issue. So next fan up. I mean, think about how many shows have fan. Next isn't uh, a very original word. Up is obviously not a very original word. Uh, so there's so many different results yeah, that plays. could come from. There's so many different results that could come from next fan up. Same thing with always listening. Think about everybody's got listen somewhere in their show notes that, it, you know, there's so many different results. It's going to be hard to find a specific episode for always listening. Um, so I wonder if it's a naming issue. I wonder if that's, if that's what it is. Articulate For Coven, my... who's got, who's got those words anywhere in their podcast? <laughs> so here's, this is interesting for my, uh, for my Christian podcast, my religious podcast, Backsliding to Glory. If I search Backsliding to Glory podcast, the first result is the Apple podcast result. And then under that are three play buttons, but only the first one is one of my episodes. Mm. And it's the it's the first episode, the zero episode. And then there are two episodes from other podcasts listed with a play button there. Yeah. That have backsliding in the like description somewhere or something. Yeah. So so it's not a hundred percent accurate yet. So it's funny. I feel like I should have opened the show. This is probably how I'll close. Uh, I'm going to save it. I'm going to tell you right now. I have a great closer for everyone that listens to the show to to see how I how I close out my name or how I open my name. I got a great closer for you today. But once again, the lots of horns and trumpets and everyone going yay yay. This is great. And then I have to come in and be like, whoa, Nelly, not all that great. A, a, a nice baby step. So I do think the real the point of this search Google search results I think is just what is mentioned in that article there. So it's not they're not really searching for your show. They're searching for a show about. So for instance, if I search for progressive Christian podcast, does my show pop up as a play button? Oh, it shut Hey, look, it does give me like 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9. It gives me 12 results for that I could click through to the actual shows itself. That's the top result. And then two regular links and then three play buttons in a row for episodes. Uh, none of them are mine in that case. It's good to know. I need to, to hone in on my search results or maybe produce a little bit more content to be able uh, to populate in those searches. But there you go. That, that actually could be as it rolls out. Very, very cool. But again, Jay, is it going to help with what you and I say the real problem is not discoverability, 
a discovering my podcast right. problem? Is it right. going to help with discovering my podcast? Well, and again, so in this shows, no, it won't. Because if I were to type in preseason week one, I guarantee my episode, you know, previewing preseason week one isn't going to show up on any of those results as, as an episode search. So there's still some work to be done. I think, and understanding how you're going to show up in those searches is important. Speaking of things that all the trumpets and horns are sounding for that I'm about to pour cold water on, this next story is that. Sound Exchange and Source Audio have formed an alliance to bring music to podcasts, Jay. It's happening. Where's my, where's my, uh, where's my horn? Yeah, no. It's not, it's not that we're not throwing a party. So this is, if, if we're talking baby steps, I feel like this is the baby like stood up on her own and then fell right back down on her butt. Joel, when, if, if I'm a, if I'm a podcaster and I go, can I have uh Taylor Swift in my podcast? Can I have that music in my podcast? What, am, what do I mean by that? What, why do I want Taylor Swift in my pocket? How am I going to use that? particular music am i going to use that i think am i going to use that in one episode us, no most of us want to use it for bumpers right right we want to use it like we hear on radio like we've heard uh you know dan patrick and uh cowherd colin cowherd coming in and out of his show with the latest jay-z track or whatever that's what that's what we want on our podcast right yeah i say we many people want right. that they want it for like a theme the the opening theme to their show they want to they they want to associate their show with that particular track well they want to be Dawson's Creek I don't want to wait <laughs> for our lives to be over her I don't want you know yeah, as we talk more and more about Catalina we we're gonna want to use Sublime <laughs> I don't practice Santeria you know I don't practice Catalina right so in any case <sighs> this is not that this is this is this is me so. All this has done is made the process of you getting a license for one-time use of a track much easier. Now, because you can already do this. You can go out and get the license for one-time use of one song, a portion of the song. It's expensive. I And I will also give them credit because they're also apparently making tiers to make it a little bit more affordable for the smaller podcaster because they understand if you're a show that's got 5,000 downloads or less, we're talking about the majority of podcasters out there, not the giant, huge Joe Rogan's Adam Carolla's of the world. Uh, so, so they are making it tier based to make it work for all parties involved, but it's for one time use on one episode. So if you want to use Tay Tay in your podcast, you can only use her that one particular song once in an episode, it won't be the whole track. It's only going to be a portion, whether it's 30 seconds, a minute, whatever, whatever the license guarantees you. And you're going to be okay. Like, cause they have a watermark on the, cause you'll be getting the music directly from this particular source from sound exchange and they'll have a watermark on it. So you're not going to get marked for an illegal use of the music, all that good stuff, but you're only going to be able to use it once. So if you want to use that same track, in the next episode, you got to get a whole nother new license. And if you want to use it in the next episode, you got to get a whole nother new license. So this is not the answer that podcasters are looking for. 
and it's going to be a pawn. And to me, honestly, I think it's only going to cause more confusion in the, in the marketplace. It's going to be incumbent on us as the veteran podcasters to make it clear, like, yeah, you bought that license, but it's only good for one episode. It's not good for one. Cause sometimes too, people will be like, is that good for my podcast? I have, I have three different podcasts. Is it good for that one podcast that I purchased? No, it's only good for one episode on that one podcast. What this is made for is for the, you know, narrative style podcast who wants to use uh, licensed music as that emotional bridge from moment to moment or, you know, to, to close out one segment and to move to a different one where they now use sort of like standard soundtrack stuff or, or maybe you even have a composer who comes in and adds a little soundtrack or score to it. You could do now, you could do it with Taylor Swift if you wanted to. Uh, the other, the other place I would think in particular would be, uh, we've talked about this show on the past here, cocaine and rhinestones, the history of country yes. music with Tyler Coe. This provides an avenue through which he could actually get a license to use a portion of those songs that he plays in the show and make it legal. The My question, I think he's not going to do this. First of all, it's going to be very expensive and it would eat up all of his profits. Second of all, I think he's going to go down with the ship arguing fair use. And I, and I think, honestly, he's got a pretty good case for it. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I think all the time about... How long is it going to be before that show goes away because of copyright issues and I don't get to listen to it anymore? I'm assuming he'll roll with the punches or figure some way around it because he wants to tell that story and I think he can. Um, but this that was one of the things that popped in my mind as I was reading this. You're right. This is not what everybody wants. This is what a certain segment of the podcasting producing audience uh, has been looking for. Some people will be very happy with the way that it works out. I didn't think about what you just laid out, Jay, which is the massive amount of confusion. I mean, right now you have people who will argue with you come into the space, don't know anything about it. Haven't read anything about the legalities. And yet they will argue with you all day long. Well, I heard five different podcasts that got music in it that nobody's doing anything with them. Why come I can't do it too? So that only gets worse when you have people who are legally allowed to do it because of the way that they're doing it. Um, yeah, it, interesting. Yeah, interesting. it's and of course the other thing is this isn't happening yet. It's not rolling out until twenty twenty anyway. Right. So if you listen to the interview that that he did on the new media show, uh, that would be Doug Reed. I believe he's from not Sound Exchange, the other one, uh, podcastmusic.com, dot uh, com, with Todd Cochran and Rob Greenley. Uh, they are trying to get maybe a soft launch done for September with a very small group just to sort of test to see how it all works out. Uh, he really wants to try and get things launched with like Christmas music, which he thinks is could be fairly easily done in time for Christmas. Uh, obviously Christmas, if you're doing a Christmas episode, having Christmas music in that particular episode, uh, that would make sense. Uh, he mentioned other events like Halloween music specifically, where you're not using Halloween music all year long. You might only use it for one particular episode. Uh, where, where that sort of thing would make sense. And he says beyond that, uh, they probably won't get really launched until sometime uh, in the early to mid-2020. Um, to me, there's still a long ways to go with this. And uh, as you heard him talk, you could understand that the larger the um, artist that you're talking about, like 
Tay-Tay, uh, you're unlikely to get the license for that particular music where the smaller artist and maybe independent artists, you're going to be highly able to get it. And some of them might even be offering their licenses at a discount because they understand the power of what this will mean for their particular brand associated with your brand. I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice baby step. It's, it's further along than we were before, but it's not the total solution. It's not the total answer. And I think the hype, God bless you, Todd Cochran. The hype that was put around this announcement made it seem much more enormous than what we're actually getting here. I So I wonder for him how much this is. I've got an answer now to all these damn support questions that I get constantly about how can I put music in my podcast? He goes, here. <laughs> but this is how. But it's not here. It's here, but understand it's only good one time. You only get to do this once. If you want to do it two times, you got to pay two times. If you want to do it three times, you got to keep paying. Like you got to keep paying each time you want to do it. So it's only good one time. Here, here, here's the answer. Good for one time. I mean, it's funny. I love both Todd and I love both Rob. Todd Greenley, uh, Todd Greenley. Well, now I've married them into one person. Todd Cochran and Rob Greenley. Todd was like super excited. He wouldn't let the hype factor go as the interview kept going on and on. Listen to that interview closely because when Rob understands what is actually being proposed, his tone changes. But he, Rob is the nicest person you know. If if you walked up to Rob and you were like, dude, the sky is green, he's not going to argue with you. He's going to let you believe the sky is green. And that's exactly how Rob continued. Because Rob caught it. Rob caught it immediately and went, oh, this is only for one time? And then he's, his tone sort of changed with the excitement that that Todd had brought to the whole interview. And I, I haven't seen the 100% of the reaction because I poured the cold water on, on Facebook uh, last late last night. Uh, and it's sort of like, oh, it'll be ignored, I'm sure. I've I've poured cold water before and people are like, ah, well, don't come crying back to me when things don't go the way you think they're going to go. Uh, one quick little note here before we get to our currently listening, Jay. Um, Libsyn is the latest podcasting company to complete IAB V2 certification process. They are now through, uh, so they join Blueberry, uh, and um, who else has finished? The Spreaker has finished it as well, and there's one more that was already on that list, right? Well, there's a whole bunch, so I'm glad that James Cridlin over at Pod News, he, again, doing God's work over there at Pod News, uh, actually provided a link to the IAB Tech Lab, which has all the certifications listed out for you. So now we can just go to this funky little list. If I could find the group that I'm looking for. And of course I can't darn it. Um, well I had it before, but now I've, I seem to have lost it. This is what, this is what preparation is. Ladies and gentlemen, it's avoiding exactly this particular moment. Uh, but in any case, oh, here it is. It just didn't load all of the... Here we go. Here are the companies that are certified podcast compliant. Uh, and this actually led me to some more questions that I got to dive deeper in. 
Raw Voice Blueberry is a certified metrics download listener ad delivery. NPR, uh, both SAS and Splunk, I have no idea what either of that means, only certified in metrics for download and listener, not ad delivery. VoxNest Audience Network, VoxNest being the parent company to Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, only metrics are download and listener, not ad delivery. VoxNest's whole thing is about ad delivery. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was the same sort of question mark I had. That's exactly why I got to dive into this. Art19, uh, certified download listener, ad delivery. Wooshka, download listener, ad delivery. Lis Libsyn, download listener, ad delivery. Uh, Triton, download listener, ad delivery. Podtrack, uh, which just got added, which might be why there was a delay on the uh, website being loaded here. Download and listener, not ad delivery. So uh, these are these are now the companies that are IAB certified. They're not just IAB compliant. They are certified. So the numbers that you get from them follow the uh, standards that have been set up by the IAB version two. Uh, and you can trust that these are the numbers that should be trusted by ad buyers. Now, we've already discussed there's a possibility of a 10% difference in numbers between the companies that are certified, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. But hey, good news. There are more companies involved. Triton uh, Digital being a good one because they are a company that provides a lot of ad deliveries um, to other third-party platforms, including uh, VoxNest, which I'm guessing is why VoxNest itself wasn't certified for ad delivery. Um I'm sure I could find that out from someone. Uh, but yeah, eh, eh, very interesting. So three new companies get certified right before podcast movement. Uh, congrats to those particular companies. Uh, one last story before we get to the always listening, Joel, and that is okay. uh, Podcast One have launched a new always free podcast hosting platform for independent podcasters called Launchpad DM. Uh, you will retain full ownership of your podcasts. Uh, they're going to provide some advertising for you, uh, both pre-roll and mid-roll. Uh, no mention of the revenue share that are there. And this just in, Podcast One, not one of the companies that was mentioned as an IAB certified company. Um, it's an interesting play by Podcast One, who seem to want to get more scale for their for their ad division. But again, if they aren't IAB certified, how are they selling those advertisements? Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either, but it, I mean, you saw the look on my face earlier when you said that Voxness IAB certification didn't include ad delivery. Like I don't, <laughs> it's above my pay grade. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions or understand how it works. Um, I listen, you and I have been more positive, I think, than the general podcast sphere on things like Anchor. We've definitely been more positive on dynamic ad insertion as a means for helping small, effectively non-existent audience shows monetize their show in a way that takes the burden of hosting off of them and allows for more independent creative development. That's, that's what we want. We want more shows and more producers to say yes to podcasting. This would 
theoretically allow for that. I like the idea of the on-ramp. This is sort of the podcast company version of what we talked about earlier with radio stations going out and saying, mm. hey, you make your show. Come help. Let us help you make your show. And if it's great, we'll put you on the radio someday. This is them saying, hey, come make your podcast. And if it's great, we'll make you a podcast we'll, one show. Yeah, we'll promote you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and I mean, like, of course, the devil, as always, is in the details, right? right. Like, what are what are the finer points of this? How is it going to roll out and play out? And, and what are the revenue splits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, in general, am I for it? Yeah, I'm for avenues. I'm for more avenues for people to get into this space without it costing them. Uh, I think that allows for more creativity. I think that allows for for more creation. And I want more shows. I want more great shows. I want the next generation. I look at my <clears> – <throat> we've talked about this many times. But I look at my kids. They see YouTube. They see that YouTube has no barriers to start. Mm. They already have a device that has a camera in it. They have an app that can feed straight into the YouTube channel. And YouTube costs them nothing. And they see that if there is any success, then YouTube will pay them. Podcasting does not have that exact same easy on-ramp. I would be fine if somebody builds it. I don't think it's ever going to take over the space. I think it needs to be a part of the space. Fair enough. Joel, I, I suggest instead of something that we're currently listening to, I do have a few suggestions, but I'm not, I don't want to share them this week. Uh, it might be a week late, too, because <laughs> podcast movement has begun. But I wanted to share sort of if I were a podcast movement, what would I be doing? And so mm. uh, for me, if you are someone that is just getting into the space, that is just learning how to podcast, I would focus on the sessions that are being presented by people that are associated with the podcast hosting companies. So I would go to the Rob Greenlee sessions. I would go to the Dave Jackson sessions. I would go to the Todd Cochran sessions. I would look at the people that are associated, the LC Escobar sessions. I would look at the people that are associated with podcast host companies and go to those particular sessions because they are going to be ultimately the people that are going to help you out the most as your first launching. They're going to give you the most basic, you know, podcasting 101 type information. Uh, and that's no disrespect to some of the independent podcasters. Like I know, Joel, you've done plenty of discussions at, at these events. If I'm someone that's just starting off, you would probably be someone that I would recommend to, but I would have to know that in advance. And without having the complete list of speakers, I can't do that right now. So just as a general overall view, that's what I would suggest. If you're someone who's been podcasting even for a few years now, I would sit my butt down in the podcasters meet broadcasters uh, track and just and camp there and find out what all these broadcasters are trying to learn and what their pain points are so that I could then approach those broadcasters with exactly what we've been talking about on this particular show, how my show can help your corporation, how what I'm doing is going to help you. Uh, because that's where the money is. The money is sitting in the suits. I would go to all of the parties and then wherever there's a large group of people, I would go and try and integrate with that, you know, stand on the outside, listen, wait for your opportunity to jump in and share a joke or whatever and introduce yourself to that particular people. If there are people that are dressed sort of casually, they're wearing a t-shirt and jeans or 
even more casual than that, you're going to find great success. If they're dressed in suits, avoid at all costs. You're not going to get involved in that conversation. You're not going to be able to jump in on that unless you already know somebody that's in that. And by the way, when you go to these sessions, you should definitely introduce yourself to the people that are sitting down next to you. Maybe they know someone. Maybe you'll bump into them later at the party. They can introduce you to someone. These are the. This is the way that I would navigate. I would go to the show floor. I would absolutely go to every single booth that is on the expo floor. Find out what what is happening. If for nothing else, that you get the really cool T-shirts, uh, you can come away with at least two weeks worth of T-shirts. Uh, if you're like me and you and you and you just like to throw on a drabby old T-shirt to walk around the house in or sleep in or whatever, uh, perfect place to you know get your new pajamas. Uh, for at least two weeks worth of laundry, um, if for no other reason. But and there's other swag too. I got the actually, um, you know, all those kids today. They've got those pop socket things for their phone, so they can hold their phone easily between two fingers. Well, iHeartRadio ha- didn't have a pop socket, but they've got this nice band one, which I love. So I can like, I can hold it on my fingers and I can flip it around. So I'm wearing like brass knuckles with my phone. It makes it a lot easier to sort of maneuver the phone. But in any case, that's, that would be my suggestion for how to approach podcast movement. Uh, so here's my suggestion. First of all, those are all great, Jay. I'm, I'll give you a couple of real suggestions in a second. I want to tell you about a link, though, that I've put into the show notes here, podcastmovement.com slash live. You're listening to this uh, starting as early as Wednesday. You can actually tune in the rest of this week, uh, Wednesday, and I say the rest of this week, Wednesday and Thursday at least. Uh, both days they have live events that you can watch, presentations from podcasts. You don't have to have a, uh, a podcast movement. You don't have to have a ticket. You don't have to have a registration or anything, just put in your email address and you can get access to this stuff. Uh, it starts tomorrow morning with Pat Flynn. He's going to be on starting at 9 a.m. This is East Coast time. Uh, uh, I say tomorrow, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. So uh, as you're listening to this, as this comes out, it'll be available. But there's a bunch. There's several events uh, Wednesday morning and then several events all day on Thursday, including it wraps up with the Jordan Harbinger show live and new media show live uh, Thursday afternoon. So a lot of stuff that you you can watch even if you don't have any access to podcast movement uh, generally. Um, but then the other thing that I will say is, and we've said this before, anytime you go to conferences, if you can at all get access to the downloads after the fact to the sessions on download the you know they call it different things i think it's called the virtual pass or the virtual ticket for uh podcast movement if you can get access to that you always should because what that allows you to do is to take advantage of those social opportunities that you were mentioning jay without any you know worry about fomo you don't have well, am I going to miss a session that will really change my life or my understanding of how I podcast by staying 10 more minutes and talking to this person that I just met in the session before stay with the person. You're not going to have the person the rest of the year. You can have the sessions anytime you can watch those videos and listen to the audio on your own leisure. When you're alone in your house back, trying to create and trying to stay motivated throughout the year in the moment, make those connections, make those relationships. The relationships that I made at the very first podcast movement that I attended in Fort Worth 
are the basis for the business that I have now, as well as so many of my friendships. Jay, you and I, I never knew you before that event. Not personally. We had interacted by email, but you didn't know who I was. I was just a guy that listened to your show. I met you. You put a face on me. You met my wife. You heard a little bit about my business and what I do. Add that to the fact that you knew what I could do as a creator, and all of a sudden I mattered as a human being to you. And vice versa, you went from being a guy who I appreciated his work to a human being. I knew your wife's name. I know you got kids. I know that y'all go to the – all of a sudden I knew you do the, the training camp, Patriots training camp thing with your son. Like that humanized you in a way that nothing that had gone before could. Take those moments – at podcast movement. And that goes for any conference that you attend, by the way. It's the, the inhuman, in-person moments. That's the most important thing. But get the virtual ticket so you can take advantage of the sessions too. Because especially if you're starting out, every single one of those sessions will be valuable to you. Even the ones that don't seem like they're in your track. When you're starting out, you don't know what you don't know, right? So it's about trying something different and saying, what can I learn in this? And you get a whole different angle on something. And you might be like, well, I do a show about real estate. I don't need to know about, you know, fictional audio dramas. Oh, no, no. There's something in a fictional audio drama session that you can bring to your real estate interview show that can spice it up or change it in a way, make you stand out from the crowd and can blow up. Even if it doesn't affect your audience directly, Jay, isn't it sometimes just about lighting you up as a creator, about keeping you from burnout, about keeping you from getting tired or, or, you know, worn out in what you're doing, the repetitive nature of creating again and again and again, week in and week out, light yourself up on fire in some way, you know, podcast movement can do that. So congrats to our friends that are there. Uh, if you're a first time, uh, attendee, especially take advantage of those things. And, uh, if you can't attend this year, watch the live stage, uh, online, get a little taste of what the event is like and put it on the calendar for next year. Uh, as we sit here Tuesday morning recording this, we haven't heard the where and the when for 2020. Have we yet? Uh, they have not officially announced it. I'm sure somebody is Got a flyer somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, because it's going to be officially announced, and they already know. I heard Dan Franks on the new yeah. media show mention that they've already got the place, so it's just a matter of announcing it. Right, right. Uh, I am. Um, I'm very interested in seeing where it goes to next. I like the fact that it moves around the country. I um, I was a little bummed it was in Orlando this year because I've already been to Orlando this year. I, I knew I knew this this year was going to be the timing was bad for me regardless of where it was so that's that's not what it was about. Um, I'll be interested to see where they go next and uh, Kelly and I will be seeing what our travel plans are like for yeah, uh, 2020. Definitely for everyone that's not attending, don't don't have that FOMO. I'll have it for you. I'm I'm gonna go cry after we turn this off that I'm not there. But at the same time, uh, do everything that Joel just mentioned. the The virtual ticket is honestly the the best thing going and and for all those people that i wasn't able to mention by name that's not necessarily associated with a podcasting company this is an opportunity for if you saw the title of their of what they were talking about and you're like oh i'm not gonna be able to make it it conflicts with something else you know you're gonna have the virtual ticket you can go back and watch that whenever you want it just makes a ton a ton of sense all right, folks, uh, sorry that we are early in the week. I know we're going to be missing a lot of uh, great, great content for you and news that's coming out uh, the rest of this week uh, for podcast movement. Um, we will bring you as much of that as we can next week. Uh, and until we talk to you again, Jay, where can they find you? 
I am at the real Pod Vader on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Podvader on Facebook. And uh, nextfanup at gmail.com is the best way to reach me via email. And you can find me on Twitter at The Rogues Life or everything else is at my website, propodcastingservices.com. Uh, and until next week, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. Like a cool November rain bringing reality to your dose of news. <laughs> and we are always listening. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Rayburn. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.